remain standing if you would as you take the word of God and open it up to the book of Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four and we've <coughs> made our way through this, uh, this book, this epistle of the Apostle Paul and in doing so uh, I, I pray that it was uh, an encouragement, I pray that it was a blessing. Uh, anytime I get the opportunity uh, to go through a book in its entirety, I get excited. And uh, I know that uh, several of you have picked up copies of the, uh, uh, the Reader's Bible. And I highly encourage you, if you've never read a Reader's Bible, it is different. And uh, uh, takes all the verse and chapter divisions out and puts all the verses together the way they were meant to be. And it opens your mind a good bit. And that's what I love about expository preaching is uh, it takes uh, all the uh, guesswork and all the reaching away from me. And I have to follow through the passage and we're able to connect the dots. And we've made our way here to the end, verses 20 through 23. And Paul closes his epistle with a common method of salutation. He sends greetings uh, along with those of the greetings of others with him. And I, I said at the beginning of this study that every bit of God's word is for our benefit. The introduction of a book ought not to be just read past, nor should the close of the book. And so there's something in it for us to glean, and so we want to do that this morning. Look with me, if you would, at uh, starting in verse 20. This is now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father, bless now the reading of your word and our hearts to its application. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. As we get into uh, this, there's a couple things that I want to do just by way of reminder, and uh, we want to take ourselves back to the very beginning of this book. And uh, if you would, uh, please do this with me. Jump back to Philippians chapter number one, and we want to uh, understand uh, some of what was being uh, said at the very beginning of all of this. You'll notice Paul's introduction. He uh, opens up the book uh, right at the onset with just a few verses here. Look what he says in verses 1 through 4. He says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. I outlined uh, uh, this book as follows, The Life of the Believer, uh, which was seen in chapter number 1, uh, verse 21 being the key verse uh, for me to live is Christ. Chapter number 2 was the mind of the believer, uh, with verse 5 being the key verse, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Chapter number 3, the desire of the believer, which uh, the key verse would have been verse number 10. 
uh, which uh, lets us know that his desire was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then the reliance of the believer, verse number 13 of chapter 4, which is where we found that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And we look at these different uh, passages and and, uh, these different key verses, so to speak, and it comes back to this, the, the theme of the book of Philippians has been, all the way from the beginning of the study to the end, uh, that of um, the practical Christian life. Now, I, I do say that, and I want to stress the practical Christian life in a way that um, uh, kind of arrests our attention. Uh, the practical Christian life was something that was understood by many in the early church days, and back in the uh, uh, back in the 1920s, 1930s, in that ballpark area, you had a a man by the name of Watchman Nee who came uh, to know Christ. And uh, uh, as he started to make his way through his ministry, most of the writings of Watchman Nee, if you've never read any of his writings, I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, one, uh, Christ, the sum of all things spiritual, is is something that'll just put anybody on their knees. It'll turn any Baptist Pentecostal in a heartbeat. And you'll, you'll find yourself screaming, praise be to God for his unspeakable gifts. But Watchman Nee, the majority of what he had written was from prison because he was in uh, uh, communist China. And he understood what it meant to go through persecution. He understood what it meant as he sat in that uh, lonely jail cell that was about nine foot in length by about four foot in width laying there with a broken arm and bloody and battered uh, uh, bruises all over, internal bleeding, but he had Christ. But he was forever, when, uh, before his imprisonment, he was forever making the statement that Christians need to learn that God is not only the God of salvation, but that God is to be our life. Now understand what he means by that because so many Christians are happy with simply making God their means of salvation and that's where they stop. He says he's so much more than that. In reference to the the teachings of baptism, he came to the place where he himself uh, realized that he needed to be baptized as a believer because the baptism when he was a child uh, was something that he did not make a, a, a conscious, willful decision to undergo. And as an adult, he went back, and, and his mother was the same way, and she decided that she needed to be baptized as a believer because she was baptized as a child herself. And he said, it was a decision that I did not make, and, and the reason why it was so important to him was when he taught the doctrine of baptism from that moment on. Here's what he said. When you enter the water of baptisms, you you take the world with you. And when you die to yourself, you die to the world. And when you are buried with him in baptism, you bury the world. And when you are raised to walk in newness of life, all things become new. And when I leave the baptismal waters, guess what? I leave the dead world behind me. But so many are still holding on to the things of this world. And the book of Philippians introduces us to the practical Christian life. What is the practical? Well, how do you, how do you live this life practically? You live it 
completely given to God. That's the practical. Paul said it in Romans chapter 12. He said, uh, he, he said it this way. He says, um, but I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. To give my life, to give every part of me over is reasonable. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a conversation with someone and they've made this statement before. Well, pastor, that's just, that's not possible. That's not reasonable to think that way. Paul begged to differ. For me to live as Christ, and it's reasonable. Well, pastor, you can't expect people uh, to, to just, to, to not enjoy life. Well, hang, hang on a second here. Wait just a moment. Let's get practical, just as the Apostle Paul in this book was practical. Let's get practical for just a moment. I can enjoy Christ. What more is there I need? I get to enjoy a relationship where when I have problems, when I am sad, when I am distressed, I can call upon my Heavenly Father and I can take my complaints. I can, air, as the Bible said, air your complaint before the Lord. I've got to be honest with you, during all this COVID stuff, I have aired my complaints before the Lord many a night where I have been in tears going, God in heaven, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know why people don't want to come to your house anymore. I don't know why people don't get excited, God. I don't I don't know what to do i have aired my complaint before the lord many times i am given the opportunity to go to him to be with him to have a fellowship with him to have a relationship with him to air my complaints to the creator of the universe what can i enjoy more than that <laughs> well I, I i i enjoy my family more than i enjoy the things of god oh Whoa. We need to wake up. And the Apostle Paul, as he's penning the words of Philippians, he is simply saying, here's the practical. Give it all to him. All of it. That's not practical. It is if you understand what he offers. It is if you understand the goodness and grace of our God. As we made our way through this study, we come to the end. And here at the very finalizing portion of it, Paul closes with a highlight on fellowship. Notice with me again in these verses that we just read. Look at verse 21. He says, salute every saint... In Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. This ought to be fellowship. This ought to be a mark of the believer. Anyone who is born again by the Spirit of God, anyone who is a blood-bought child of God, it ought to be a mark that they are a child of God by the fellowship that they have with the believers. 
Notice what he says with that. He says uh, in verse 21, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. I don't see him holding back. You know what? Uh, <laughs> salute everybody except. No. That's the way we would mostly do it. We, you know, hey, make sure you tell everybody but Jeff I said hi. <laughs> no, come on. That's not what we do. The Apostle Paul, he said, I want you to make sure that they all, because he had fellowship with them. Well, Pastor, I've got fellowship with people at the church. All of them? All of them? Paul said, salute every saint. Do you look forward to being with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you dread it? Is it something, you know, you just got to understand, Pastor, I don't like people. I just don't like people. And people are at the church. And since I don't like people, I don't like people at the church either. And so why would I want to fellowship with people I don't like? Because the same grace that offers salvation to you offers it to them. And if they're a child of God and you're a child of God, you are loved by the same God. And the love that he pours out upon us ought to overflow to them as well. I don't know about you, but I, I've been, yeah, I've, I've got a wife that I absolutely adore. I love my wife. You all know I have said it many times. I adore my wife. I don't care too much for people who don't like my wife. You ever been, you ever had that, you know, you got to <laughs> you said, what to my wife? Excuse me, are we going outside? Look, bub. <laughs> that, that's kind of the attitude. But it, it's difficult to like someone who doesn't like who you like. But I put up with a lot of people that like my wife, and they treat my wife well. And I really, to be honest with you, have a difficult time being in the same state with them. But because they love my wife, and she loves them, I put up with them. And I find that over time, some of that putting up with, kind of chills out to tolerate. And then toleration turns to lack of disdain. And lack of disdain turns into apathy. And before too long, I have found myself liking people that I have thought there's no way on God's green earth I am ever going to enjoy time with that individual. but because of the love that they had for my wife. I can put up with them, and I can learn to love them too. 
how can we call ourselves lovers of God when we don't like the people who love our God? That's a tough one. Pastor, you're starting to meddle in my personal life. Don't go there, preacher. Don't go there. Oh, he just went there. But I want you to understand what he says there. He says, salute every saint. Some may say, well, he's talking about those holier people because you have, you have people, then you have Christians, then you have saints, and then you have the angels and God, right? No. The word saint there is agion, sometimes agios, depending on how it's being used. It is translated as physically pure, morally blameless, or holy. It's the same word used to translate sanctified. You find that it is sanctified, someone who has been, uh, who has been washed and regenerated, who is now seen by God as morally blameless. A saint is anyone who is born again by the Spirit of God. Not somebody that we pray to. I, I take my prayers to God. If I have an open door, can I just be honest for a minute? If, uh, if I need money, I'm going to the bank. I'm not going to the shell station and asking them for money. I'm going where the money is. I'm going to the bank. If I have something that needs to be addressed by someone divine, I'm going to go to that divinity. Now, it would be kind of odd for me to go to a bank if I did not have an account. If I just, I, my account's with Cortland Banks. It would be kind of interesting if I went down to Fifth Third Bank and I said, hey, uh, I need $50. Like, you don't have an account with us. Well, I still need $50. Well, you need to go where you have an account. But I want $50. Talk to someone who can help you. Right? So I go and I talk to someone who can help me. And I'm sorry, but dead men can't help me. My living Savior can. And so I go to the only place, the only source of help, and that's God. That was free. You can, that's like the extra chips when you go to a Mexican restaurant. You don't have to pay for those. You just get those. The only time it's acceptable to break fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ is under the terms of discipline. Someone will say, well, so you're telling me that I should never break fellowship with a person uh, that uh, claims to be a child of God. No, go back to Matthew chapter 18. The Bible does say if your brother offends you, you go to them. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter number 18. I don't want you thinking I'm making this up. This is good stuff here. You want to know why we have so many problems in the house of God? Because this verse, this passage is ignored, generally. Look what it says, Matthew chapter number 18, verse 15. 
says, Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Okay, so someone offends me, I am to go and make sure to tell everybody in my Bible study group about it. No, no, I go to them one-on-one, just me and that person. That's it. Step number two, verse 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Okay, so if I go to them and they still don't want to make things right, then I take somebody with me, or maybe two people if I think it would be better to take two people. You know, it's funny, my Sunday school class has not been brought into this yet. My co-workers have not been mentioned yet. My sister or my brother that I like to call and gossip to has not been mentioned in this passage as of now. It's just me and the offender or taking a witness with me if I need them. Verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man. And a publican. So step number three, if I tried to make this restitution, I try to get things right, then step number three is I take him before the church and I say, somebody help me make this right. Help me rectify this situation. And if they still don't want to make things right, the Bible says that I'm supposed to treat them as a heathen and a publican. That's the only time that you have permission to break fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's it. And Paul is trying to draw a conclusion to a book here using a moder- or a, 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 that day uh, example of a salutation. And in doing so, he says to have fellowship and to salute everyone, all the saints. What are you, where do you find your identity? Where do you find, you personally, where do you find your identity? Do you find your identity in your occupation, your hobby, identity in your family? Or is your identity found in the person of Jesus Christ? That's where our fellowship will be. You know, at my workplace, when I go to work, do people hear that I have good fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, or do they hear all the dirty laundry about my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do do I try to make myself look better to people outside these walls and try uh, try to make myself look better than the people within the walls? Oh, it's a good thing that that church has me. That church would be going to hell in a handbasket if it wasn't for me and my righteousness bringing them up a level. I've heard some people talk about their church, and I'm just going, what satanic group are you part of? You know, oh, I love my church. Doesn't sound like it. A bunch of dysfunctional people like that, I'd probably hate God. People see, or what do people hear? Do they see disagreement? Or do they see a fellowship that doesn't make sense to them? (laughs) He did what? Your church is doing... Well, why don't you go, oh no, man, I can't wait to go to church. I can't wait to be at church. You need to go to such and such with me this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time if you go with me this week. I'm sure it will be a wonderful time, but you, you don't hold a candle to what's going on at my home church. 
You don't, you don't understand. I cannot stay away from having fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, I'm sure what you're getting ready to go through is going to be fun. And I'm, I, I know that you're going to have a good time, but you're not going to have anywhere near as much fun as the time I'm going to have. Why don't you come with me instead? But what we typically do is, okay, I'll give up that something better now we never want to say well this is better than church we'd never want to say this is better than my relationship with god we'd never want to say this is better than christ but that's what we say whether we realize it or not what we're saying is i'm choosing this over that which means this is better than that i bet you if i had some fun today i'd I could probably say, okay, show of hands, who thinks Ford versus Chevrolet? And I, I bet you, man, I'd have a lot of good time with that. You'd have a bunch of people getting, you know, uh, yeah, I'd have a split in the church. It'd split four ways from election if I brought up sports teams. And he'd get all upset. <laughs> what is better? What's going on out there? Or what's taking place amongst God's people? The proof is in where we find our identity, where we spend the majority of our time, our efforts. There's the proof. Track your week. I challenge you. And if you want, I've got, I've got forms that will help you do it. Track your week and ask yourself, how much time do you spend doing what? Log it every day. I spend X amount of time sleeping, I spent X amount of time eating. I spent X amount of time watching TV. That's a big one. Mercy's sake. There's times I just want to throw a baseball through the TV. Believers. Living for Christ is seen there in verse 21. Notice what he says. Let me get back to it. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me salute you. Look at uh, <clears throat> look what he says back in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. This is the wish of the apostle Paul, that everyone who is a born-again child of God would live a life completely given to the person of Jesus Christ. Unto God, he says, unto God be all glory. You see that in verse 20 of chapter 4? He says, unto God be all glory and honor forever. This is what it means for me to live is Christ. I don't care who sees me do what. I don't care who knows that I took care of this. I don't care how much people get, uh, think I give. I don't care how much people think I do. That doesn't bother me. All I want them to see is God. And if people say, praise the Lord, or they're excited that the work of the Lord is moving forward, it doesn't matter whether they know that I'm the one responsible. It doesn't matter whether they see me standing on the platform. It doesn't matter. Look, there's all kinds of people that can stand up and sing a song. It takes a different kind of person to say, let me get out of the way and only want God to be seen. That's the type of people Paul is looking for. He says, I don't care who can sing what. I want people singing for the Lord. I want God to be seen. Do you want you to be seen? Or do you want God to be seen? For me to live 
remember hearing the testimony of a preacher. One day his voice stopped. That's all he had. I'm a preacher. This is what I do. I preach. My voice is gone. What do I do now? You see, God knew where he found his identity. His identity was found in preaching. And he spent years just a bare whisper is all he could do. His church had kept him on as long as they could. And they would have pulpit supply come in to preach week after week after week. And finally, he told his church, he says, it's never coming back again. He stepped away, let them find another person to take the reins. and He went years not able to preach. And finally there came a day where he was giving his testimony. And if, if I can find it, if you've never heard it, it'll move you to tears. Giving his testimony, and they were recording it. And in the midst of saying, I have given it over to God. I am his. And I just want him to receive the honor and glory. In the midst of him saying that, his voice came back. What is the one thing that if you lost it today, would end your existence. Well, if I couldn't do this, I, I, I don't know what I'd do. If I lost my hands, if I lost my child, if I lost my spouse, if I lost my car, if I lost my sight, Would you be willing today to give that over to the Lord and say, you know what? As long as I have you, I can do all things. And I can suffer any loss as long as I have you. The mind of Christ, he says, salute every saint. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he talks about what the mind of Christ is. Look at Philippians chapter 2. It says, If there be any, therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. I find it interesting when, when he says uh, there in chapter 4 to salute every saint in Christ Jesus. <laughs> 
I'm sure you know the person that you would have excluded from that. Maybe someone popped into your mind when I was talking about it, and you're like, well, everybody but this guy. Nobody wants to salute him. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, letting nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Can you look at that person and say they are better than me? If there are people that I look at, I'm better than. I do not have the mind of Christ. Period. Well, no, no, no. I've, I've got the mind of Christ. I'm still just working through some things. Nope. If I'm still looking at people, I'm better than that individual. I do not have the mind of Christ. That's a tough one to swallow, isn't it? Well, preacher, you just don't understand this person. (laughs) You'd think you were better than him too. Be careful. Be cautious. The mind of Christ is humble, not proud. Like-minded love, accord and like-mindedness, unity. For this to take effect, humility must be present. Pride leads to prejudice. Pride always leads there. Pride also leads to selectiveness. Well, I like these kind of people, but eh, I don't like those. That's pride. And you need to address it. Because God resists the proud. And I don't want to be resisted. God. He gives grace to the humble. Look at just a couple more things here before we're finished. It is because of God's grace, because of God's grace that we have fellowship with one another. Understand, my fellowship does not center around my interests with you. The only interest that it should center around is the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. But the grace of God is the foundation for all of my fellowship. Webster defines grace this way. Unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration and sanctification undeservedly. Can I just be honest for a second? I've been, I don't want to say I, I, I've been honest pretty much this whole time. Uh, people are going to walk away going, I guess the first half was a lie. No, no, no. Now, let me, let's say it this way. When people say, can I be honest with you, what they're really saying is, can I be blunt? Let's, let's see if I can say it uh, kindly. The grace that brought salvation to you, you didn't deserve. Now, before we start getting high-minded and thinking, no, well, you don't understand, preacher. I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. I I do a lot. And when God saved me, he got a good thing. 
Can I ask your wife? What about your kids? What about your co-workers? What about your neighbor across the street? When God got me, you know what he got? He got a piece of trash. He got a piece of trash because that's exactly what I was in my own merit, my own way. I don't deserve the grace of God. That's what makes it grace. If I deserved it, it would be a reward. If I deserved it, it would be payment. If I deserved it, it would be my wages. But let me tell you what I do earn because Romans 6.23 lets me know the wages that I do earn are death because the wages of sin is death. So what I did deserve, salvation from the God who loved me. But he graciously poured out life. He graciously gave me what I did not deserve to get. And as much as I like you, you didn't deserve it. So before we go thinking about that person on the other side of the church and how much they don't deserve it, or that person at the last church I used to go to, and how I don't care for them, and, and you know, and next time I see them, I hope it's at their funeral. I'm human too. I know the thoughts that go through man. Before I go thinking about that, I need to be reminded of who I am and what I did deserve but what he gave me instead. So who am I to withhold love from anyone? Neither you nor the person that you despise deserves this grace. I find it funny. In Philippians 1 verse 2, Paul begins with grace. And here in Philippians 4.23, Paul ends with grace. It says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You know, it's interesting that he says that even Caesar's household saluted them. Caesar at that time would have been Nero. And many of you know about Nero. Nero, yeah, he was a good guy, wasn't he? He used to take uh, Christians and sew them up in animal skins and throw them in the Colosseum for lions to destroy. He used to dip them in oil and light them on fire and put them up on a post so that it would light the way for his military to come back home. And people like that got saved. Not him. I'm not talking about Nero. So don't go searching your book in his household. But beyond that, think about this from this perspective. Lowly Philippi, those poor believers in Philippi, were saluted by substantial people in the house of Caesar. Only the gospel Removes social barriers, racial barriers. It takes it all down. 
and it puts us on an even playing field. There's no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, no bond, no free. We are all children of God. 